0: Hey everyone, just wanted to say thank you to all of you for tuning into Future Year this year. All of the support, all of the feedback that I've gotten has been nothing short of amazing. Um, Doing this podcast, getting to meet all these guests and interview them, and then all the feedback from you, the listeners, has been just such a rewarding experience, and I wanted to make sure to say thank you, um, because without you, this podcast wouldn't really be where it is. So I have some awesome episodes that I'm looking forward to in 2021, some great conversations lined up that I think you're really going to enjoy. For these last two episodes, they're going to be compilations. I'm trying to end things on a bit of a high note here, a little bit of an optimistic outlook, um, where I asked each of these guests who had been on the podcast this year, you know, what are the things that you're looking forward to as we head into 2021, as it relates to your industry, your area of expertise, and your passion. So you're about to hear uh, this episode, which is all from guests that were, um, you know, from the hearables world. So I hope you enjoy. Stay tuned for the second one that will be around hearing health and audiology. And I can't wait to uh, share the podcast with you again in 2021. All right, Andy Bellavia, welcome back to the podcast. I think you're actually uh, probably winning in terms of being on the podcast the most times as reoccurring guests. Um, you know, we've had a number of different discussions. We've talked about hearables. We've talked about hearing healthcare. We've talked about voice technology, and all the different use cases in between. So uh, you know, you're you're sort of polymathic when it comes to this space, but like I'm doing with everybody on this episode, really trying to get a sense of what you're excited about, you know, heading into 2021, um, you know, as it relates to these different fields. So just let it rip, let me know, you know, what's on your mind, what What are you, you know, gung-ho about uh, moving into
1: next year? Well, thanks, Dave. I mean, I appreciate the chance to to talk to these things. I think the polymath may be a little bit uh, overdoing it, but still, you're right, <laughs> I have a foot in each door. and. And that, that in fact, kind of, you know, colors how I look at 2021, because we've talked multiple times about what's coming together in the hearable space. You're getting to devices that have almost all day wear. The hardware is getting a lot better. You have ANC really coming into its own. And you have voice apps for hearables, like uh, MarsBot from Foursquare. And uh, even Spotify's voice controls, which really make it interesting and worthwhile to have hearables in your ear for more and more of the day. But what I'm really excited for, actually, is the power that hearables are bringing to the hearing care space. And I think back to you had uh, Kim Cavett on the podcast with Carl Strom. And I remember her saying that we shouldn't be forcing a $5,000 solution on a person with a $500 problem. Mm yeah I think about think about people i mean if you look at the stats, like i I have some uh, stats from John Hopkins, which show that in eighty year old and above uh severe hearing loss predominates, but below the age of eighty it's more people have mild or moderate hearing loss. Well, by and large, they're not being served today. That can be any combination of reasons. It can be cost of uh, hearing aid devices, it can be the stigma, it can be the high friction associated with going down the full audiological path. Well, now, and really we're going to see this in 2021, is that effective consumer solutions are beginning to proliferate. And we've had some companies in this space. For example, New Hero really has a you know an effective product on the market for years. one of the, one of the early leaders and still an excellent product today. But in the context of the total number of people with mild to moderate hearing loss, the solutions on the market today aren't really moving the needle. Uh, you know, only a small fraction of people who have mild to moderate hearing loss are using them, and even less are getting full hearing aids. But now you're starting to see things really happening. Uh, Olive Union, for example, uh, they announced that in the first quarter they're gonna roll out their consumer device, which is pretty stylish, has premium music quality as well, and it's an FDA-registered hearing aid. You also have Apple putting their toe in the water with uh, earphone accommodations in iOS 14, and you have most significantly Qualcomm making the partnership with the hearing software company, Jacodi, which promises then to make available mild to moderate hearing loss solutions to millions of people. I, I honestly don't think that can be underestimated, what effect that's going to have and you can even, when you listen to people from Jacochi and you listen to people from Qualcomm uh, speak about hearing loss mitigation, when you hear them talking in really excited tones. So I'm looking forward to you know, a really significant rollout of situational hearing correction in hearable devices. And uh, I think that's gonna have a, a really big effect on enhancing people's quality of life. Yeah. And You know, and we're not, and and, and that's even apart from talking about developing countries, because in developing countries where many, many people don't have access to professional hearing care and can't afford a full uh, hearing aid device, you know, this is going to be a game changer for their ability to get some sort of solution. In that case, even a 70% solution will be deeply meaningful compared to no solution at all.
0: Yeah. And and
1: I think I'll close this out by by saying I think this is the time when we really we really reach continuum of hearing care from mild to very severe. Uh, even uh, in the uh, in the panel uh, that uh, Justin uh, Nuhira did with the NAL, he said he believes that this sort of over the counter device will actually increase the sales of full hearing aids, and I agree with him there because as more people wear things in their ears and start to get used to the fact that they can have hearing enhancement and situational use, by the time they get to the point where they need a full hearing aid, they're gonna be very comfortable with something in their ears. They're not gonna feel the stigma associated with it. And therefore, the adoption rates of true hearing aids for the market in which they serve best is only going to go up. And I think that's gonna be a good thing for everybody.
0: Yeah, no, I think that was really well said. And I agree with you, I share your enthusiasm. The Jocote thing is, uh, it's such a game changer, you know, on that same episode with Kim Cavit, she mentioned, you know, the, we, we were using the parallel of the optometry industry and she used the example of cheater lenses, you know, as it relates to growing the prescription glasses, um, you know, product category and, I look at this as this is the cheater's moment in this industry because it's the standardization um, of that feature more or less. It's in no way is it going to replace hearing aids or anything like that, but it's going to be that very first step that I think a lot of people are going to be exposed to. And I share your same optimism, and um, you know, I think this idea that. The more people that are exposed to this and understanding that so few people are you know that they a have a loss and be what it sounds like to have a level of the sound around them restored. Um, I just don't think that you can really uh, underestimate the impact that that could ultimately have is, is it like you said. More people just become comfortable with this idea and more people are open to, okay, I've had this for a few years. My hearing loss maybe has progressed. I want to go see an expert. I want to see a, you know, a hearing health solution uh, or a hearing health expert. Um, these are the kinds of things that I think will grow the market ultimately. And I assure, assure your enthusiasm. I'm, I'm really excited about that heading into next
1: year. Yeah, so am I. And that's really a process that's going to take years to really, you know, to really achieve mass adoption. But I think 2021 is the year that that aircraft leaves the runway. So I'm really excited for the coming 12 months. Love it. Awesome.
0: Well, cool, Andy, thank you for joining the podcast as many times as you did this year. I'm looking forward to all the chats that we're going to have here in 2021.
1: I'm looking forward to it as well. And, and, and really, thanks for having me on as many times as you did.
0: All right, so we got Sherry Eberts here. Sherry was on episode 33, did an awesome conversation with her and Matt Hay back in May, uh, where we talked all about, you know, kind of like living through a pandemic that's full of Zoom calls and screens when you have hearing loss. And um, I just think that it's really interesting to hear both your and Matt's perspectives on what that's like. I think it's something that a lot of people should be well aware of is that, you know, there are a lot of uh, obstacles that those, you know, world full of screens sort of pertain. And um, I thought you guys really did a great job of shedding a light on, on, you know, what that's like for you. And and then also some of the different ways that we can all uh, be aligned in terms of advocacy and work to make it more inclusive, more or less. So it's great to have you back on. Just wanted to get a sense from you as we head into the new year. You know, what are the things that are top of mind for you that get you excited about 2021?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me back. It was a, a lot of fun to talk with you, and Matt, I really enjoyed it. And as you know, 2020 was just a tough year in general, so I think yeah. we're just happy to be moving forward. Uh, especially mm-hmm. for people with hearing loss who suffer from isolation during normal times. So the pandemic was definitely um, an issue. But there were a lot of silver linings, and I think, like you mentioned, especially on the advocacy front. And there really did seem to be more of a focus on accessibility for people with hearing loss. I think the pandemic highlighted a lot of the challenges that we faced. and. You know there were definitely um, interest in news coverage and so that's definitely a positive the the first thing was really on just the face masks and really highlighting um, the difficulty in terms of communicating for people with hearing loss because of that and how it takes away our superpower you know which is the lip reading basically Um, and clear masks can help with that, and it's been exciting to see that being embraced by different companies and, and new technologies, heading into 2021. Um, and of course, video conference calls, which really, you know, basically took over yes. all of our interactions um, in 2020. And at the beginning of the pandemic. I started a petition asking the different video conference companies to make their uh, f- their ASR or their automatic speech recognition captions free for people with hearing loss to help us stay connected during the the difficult times. And pretty quickly, Google and Microsoft came out and made their excellent captions free for everybody. Yep. And really, Zoom. Um, has been the one that lags behind, and I know when we spoke back in May, uh, the petition I think had about thirty-five thousand signatures, yep. and right now we're up to about sixty-seven thousand. Wow, still climbing. So you can see it's still a huge, huge issue for people with hearing loss and yeah. captions. You know the way I think about it, and the way I think a lot of people are starting to think about it, is captions are our ramps. You would never build a building and have ramps there and then ask wheelchair users to pay in order to access those ramps and it's the exact same thing with captions we need them to stay involved and to communicate on video conference calls and there's no reason why we should pay for the accessible features that we need yeah
0: i totally agree with that i was just going to say i think that it's first of all it's so cool that this podcast uh, has allowed for me to really get to know you and um, just what an amazing impact you're having on, I mean, the fact that you've been able to generate 67,000 signups and and signatures, um, it's just unbelievable the amount of awareness that you're generating here. And I totally agree. I think that, you know, this is, I think, a little bit of a learning curve as a society right now that we're going through, where it needs to be recognized to your point that, for you know, just like you used the analogy of wheelchair ramps, um, captions are essential to a large contingent of people. And in a world that's so dominated with Zoom and all of these different video conferencing, um, you know, meetings, it just makes so much sense to me. And I just think it's so cool that you're spearheading that front. So wanted to say that, but go on.
2: Well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you and really a lot of people in the hearing health press have helped to get the word out about the petition. I know, you know, hearing tracker and find hearing and, and hearing review. And I just really appreciate how the whole industry honestly has come together in support of this on the technology side, on the audiologist front, the hearing journal published um, an editorial about it. So it's just been inspiring to me to really see how the whole industry has come together to support people in this time. And I expect that's is gonna continue For sure. in 2021 because we need to keep the pressure on. I mean, the, the good news is that Zoom does seem to be quietly rolling out the asr captions to its lowest cost plan so it's pro plan Mm -hmm. and it looks like they're expanding um the beta test a little bit but the fact is that it, it should be free for everyone and so we need to really just keep our foot on the pedal to keep this going
0: yeah i totally agree well those are really uh two really great points and i agree i think that this idea of just being a little bit more uh, inclusive and thoughtful about all this um, and figuring out ways that you can support um, these groups that I think really need our support right now. So I fully agree with everything you're saying there. Anything else that is on your mind as as we head into the new year? The only other thing I would
2: say is that the exciting thing for me about innovations in terms of accessibility is that once they're there, they can't be rolled back, so right. I feel like the progress that we've made in 2020, we can only move forward with that, and so that's very exciting.
0: Yeah, it's like we it took a pandemic for um, maybe the world of of video conferencing to become standardized with captions, and I guess that is a little bit of a silver lining is that you know three years from now, four years ago, or four years from now. Uh, hopefully when all of it just becomes truly universal and standardized and everything is captioned, um, you know, we'll look back and we'll say that, well, that's a big a big reason why was because when we were living on Zoom for a whole year, um, it just became so uh, obvious that it was something that we needed. So I love it. I think these are really great points and I agree with you. I think these are things to be excited about, you know, as we move into the future. Awesome. Cool Sherry, well thank you so much. Thanks for coming on the podcast this year and we'll definitely have to have you on again in 2021. Sounds great, thanks Dave. Okay, so we got Carl Thomas. Carl's been on the podcast a few times this year. Uh, He and I just did an awesome episode with Nick Hun not long ago. So be sure to go check that one out as that was probably one of the most enlightening episodes from the man who coined the term hearables himself. So that was a lot of fun, Carl and I doing that one together. But wanted to bring Carl on um, as somebody that's been working in the, you know, really the wearable space and, and specifically with hearables for quite some time. I'm curious, Carl, like what are the things that get you really excited as we head into 2021?
3: Well, first off, Dave, thanks again for having me back. I really appreciate the time and the, and the ability to chat with yourself and obviously your um, people that are listening. Mm-hmm. I think from perspective being in the hearable space, the one thing that's been really interesting over the last... Um, a few years is just the number of different hearables, headphones, truly wireless ste- um, stereo bud, earbuds that are coming to market that have a range of sensors in them, because ultimately that provides so many different benefits to the consumer. But also as well, the more people are starting to look at the category, the more people are starting to realize the scalability of what can be provided, the different types of functions, the different types of features. And that obviously goes hand in hand with the amount of content that is now available for headphones, broadly speaking. We know that over the last five years, Um, streaming music has completely blown up to be the main engine of growth within the recording industry we know that podcasts have just exploded we know that audiobooks have exploded so if we're having the ability to listen to more content when we're out and about whilst also more content is available there's a part of me that is now thinking okay well with the rise of consumer devices on our ears that understand us understand content this content is going to start to become a lot more dynamic, a lot more adaptive to that context. Mm. And, you know, I've been talking about audio as a service for a while in terms of audio having a specific job to be done in a very narrow context. And I think with an understanding and appreciation of um, our physiology from either, you know, wearables or hearables that have some form of um, insight into our biometrics and also situational context, there's going to be a real rise in content, which is really designed to either be reactive or designed for specific environments for contextually
0: aware audio listening. Hmm. Uh, No, I think that's fascinating. I mean, just the thought of, you know, where do we go now that you're starting to see the embedding of the sensors? Clearly there's one side of it that's on gathering the information um, from a biometric like preventative health standpoint, but there's I think a lot to what you're saying around what kind of contextual clues are we um, more or less transmitting, you know, with these? And what does that then do to the content that can be overlaid on top of it? I think like Spotify, there's a lot of different things that are going on in my mind right now as it relates to does this impact, you know, the music recommendations that you get or the spoken audio, Mm -hmm. you know, it's You've been, you know, maybe it's understanding that I've been listening to a lot of different podcasts about a specific topic, and then it's surfacing that content based on my, you know, the parts that I'm, maybe it's registering my emotional behavior, like I'm getting excited about this. And so it's recognizing it. There's just a lot of different directions that this could go. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of heritage here as well. So obviously this year
3: we had the release of Marsbot which is providing contextually relevant um, audio information about our physical environment that we're, um, you know, that we're in in real time. Mm-hmm. But going back to, I think it is 2014, the guys who started Last FM, uh, Michael Breidenbrooker specifically created RJDJ, and that was taken in just loads of input from the sensors on your smartphone to provide an always dynamic soundscape to, you know, you going out and... Environment and stuff like that. It's it's incredibly compelling, but now we're moving into a space whereby it's having real tangible benefits. So you can start to imagine stuff like Calm and Headspace providing meditation for you when it recognises specific biometrics um, or recognises that you're stressed. You know, there's obviously. A, Platforms like Adapt or Active, sorry, who are providing a range of different audio workouts, and they're now starting to do a partnership with Apple, whereby based on the your physiology, that's gleaned from your Apple Watch, it can start to be a bit adapted to your heart rate. So there's so many examples of where audio can be relevant to us physiologically and providing that tangible benefit. And I think that's going to be, ex, you know, is that's going to really scale into so many different types of um, use cases in, across 2021 and 2022, especially.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a fascinating use case about Calm because I think that um, I've had conversations on the podcast, like I did one with Brett Bivens not long ago, where we talked about this idea of the ambient ladder and this idea where it starts with music and the next rung has been a lot of spoken audio. So you have podcasts. And now we're seeing like new forms of podcasts emerge. But I totally think that we're going to have like this whole ambient internet of things like Calm, Headspace, where to your point, the way that that might all kind of be um, uh, manifested is that, you know, you have it so that it's a function on your AirPods or whatever type of device that you're wearing, it registers that you might be agitated or something's going on. And it's just giving you a prompt to say, you know, would you like to engage in a five minute meditation or something like that? And that's where I think this kind of gets kind of fascinating is that the clues that your biometrics and your physiology 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 are are transmitting and being captured can then be converted into actionable items. And I think there's a lot of different things, um, you know, that that get interesting when you start to think about it that way.
3: Exactly. And I think when you start to look at the broader context in which that sits in the fact that we are all now, I say all the vast majority of us are working from home, especially, you know, mm-hmm. rooms aren't open, um, healthcare, and, you know, the, the the lack of ability to go and see doctors, um, see clinicians, it's, you know, we're, we're living in a space whereby we need to start to have systems that are able to monitor us and provide us with some form of insight or some form of, um, of, of tool to really help us Um, you know better our health or or better our our mental wellness and I think audio I mean we read a stat back in 2019 I think it was based on a a world health organization white paper which basically said that at the time 67% of millennials were using some form of music to overcome anxiety and depression now obviously music wasn't developed and created for that specific role, but at the same time, it suggests that if it was, or if audio was created for that specific role, and if audio or the systems that we use could understand the um, underlying challenges that we're going through, then obviously that audio would be a lot more impactful in that specific use case. So, yeah, I'm just very bullish on the fact that we could now be moving into a stage whereby audio really does act as a tangible way and overcoming certain challenges, or even a tangible mechanism in certain use cases, to really provide real, true value.
0: Yeah, and that's why I think uh, you know this idea that it's it is this parallel sense. Like you can do things in a way that you can't with video, where video it dominates your entire attention. You need to kind of focus mm-hmm. on it. You can't drive and look and watch a video, or else you shouldn't be doing that. But with audio, you can be doing things and have it sort of be in the background. And that's why I think it. You know, on the surface, that's interesting. But when you really think about that, it it opens up ways that you can engage in content in ways that you never really could with just your phone, because it, it, it assumes that, you know, you basically have part of your processing power in your brain that can be allocated to something like this. And uh, I just think that circumstantially, it becomes something where it's just more feasible more times than not. And it's not something that just demands you to stop everything and turn all your attention this way. And so that's where I think things are going to get really interesting when really the audio internet explodes the way that I think it is. I think that the precursor was you needed to get the internet enabled more or less with outfitting everybody with these kinds of devices and having that behavior shift that we've seen over the last few years with airpods most notably um and now it's kind of like okay what comes next and like you mentioned Marsbot is a really really good example of operating on that assumption where you may you might have a lot of different ugc that's been created in high density areas like i live in chicago or i used to live in chicago but you know, I got like all kinds of friends that live there and we're all, you know, dropping our our own UGC. And I can hear like your recommendation when I walk by a restaurant. That's Mm. actually really intriguing. Like that's a compelling, but again, it's not something where I'm not sure if I'd want to be notified on my phone with like a lot of alerts to say these kinds of things. It's because these things are already kind of in my ears and it's operating on the assumption that it's just like here's just a little bit of tidbit of information. Um, I just think that's a subtle a subtle thing to point out, but I think it's a really important thing to point out about why audio is so different.
3: Exactly, and I think that combined with the proliferation of audio assistants as well, where they can mm-hmm. start that filter to what's actually relevant to us. Again, that makes the whole Audible experience so much more compelling because if we're walking past a specific retailer, we're walking past a specific um, restaurant that we have transacted with previously or that we have a relationship with then it makes whatever notification a lot more compelling to us to obviously access that at that moment in time and I think yeah just we've obviously gone through the rise of audio over the last five years yeah and there's parallels around broadly speaking the information age that we went through in the noughties um early 20 um early 20s, sorry say and I think mm-hmm. now about moving in the same way that we have in the information age into the age of context. What do I want to hear at this moment in time? What's going to benefit me at this moment in time? How do I deduce that? By using the sensors that are on the device that I'm wearing in my ears. And obviously, we know from a lot of the writings that Nick Huns done and obviously other great experts that the ear is a great physiological playground
0: mm-hmm.
3: to these cues. So it's now about that relevance for me personally.
0: Yeah. No, I love that. The age of context. I think that's such a well-said statement because I do. I think you're right. I think that it's like one thing to capture a lot of this information. Now, I think the next stage is making sense of it in a way that's highly personalized on a per-user basis. Absolutely. Uh, All right. Cool. Awesome, Carl. Thanks so much for joining me here today. And for all the times that you were on the podcast this year, I always enjoy our conversations and I definitely look forward to doing a few more next year in 2021. Thanks again, Dave, for having me and um, yeah. Happy New Year to everyone else and happy 2021 when it comes. Happy 2021. Cheers. All right. Ryan Crotl. Welcome back to the podcast, Uh, had you on a number of times this year, we had a great time talking about, you know, biometric sensors, preventative health, uh, wearables as early detection systems to, you know, pandemics and other uh, health crises. So great to have you back on. Curious to get your take, you know, what, you know, as we head into 2021, what's on your mind? What are the things that are getting you excited, uh, you know, as it relates to your field of expertise and the things you're passionate about?
4: Well, Dave, first and foremost, thanks for having me back. It's always good to talk to you again. And um, yeah, there's a lot of exciting things for, for 2021. So I'll, I'll try to keep it relatively short and um, and keep it relatively concise. But I think a, a good summary of of what I'm most excited about is this notion of these consumer medical solutions and that the the dichotomy of consumer and medical is um those words are chosen uh uh, purposefully because you don't typically think of those or you think of those as two separate categories but what what we're seeing and you're starting to see early signs of this even uh in the past few years but in particular this year where there's this convergence going on between uh consumer wearables and hearable devices and true health and medical devices and those those two categories of devices and solutions are rapidly converging. And it's really coming from two different angles. One is more from the device side where uh, a lot of these consumer hearables and wearables are uh, moving towards becoming at a minimum personal health devices, if not outright medical devices. And what you're seeing is more and more of these consumer wearables and hearables getting regulatory clearance mm-hmm. for medical applications with uh, things like uh, atrial fib detection or uh, and that's things like the apple watch and samsung and fitbit now have that capability as well and um, you're also starting to see things like a live core that is is coming from more of a medical um, uh, medical background moving into that um, space as well in a in a bigger and broader way um, I think hearing health is a good example of that as well, where um, the, the hearing health companies are um, recognizing this and and putting more features in those devices that are traditionally considered wearable um, uh, capabilities like activity tracking and voice assistance and biometrics, of course, and it, it, a lot of the things that, that you talk about regularly, Dave. <laughs> So the the device angle is one of it, but then also um, more of the um, more there's there's a bunch of companies coming at this from a services angle as well, and and this is more of where you're seeing a lot more um, what I would refer to as business model innovation um, as much as technical innovation. Of course, there's technology involved, but um, I, and I'm I'm speaking more um, more specifically about. Uh, companies like Livongo and Amata Health and Dario Health, and a lot of these, most of them targeted towards chronic disease, um, but started going direct consumer and um, building out a direct relationships with those consumers to be able to establish the efficacy of their solutions. And now you're starting to see them Um, get uh, payers involved and get get uh, become part of payer networks and and get uh, involved in more broad and broader distribution networks. Um, And that's where I think you're going to you're going to start to see those uh, areas continue to converge from a device standpoint and from a services and a solution standpoint, where um, you'll see those those companies continue to focus on uh, regulatory clearance, uh, demonstrated efficacy of the technology and the service involved and, um, and ultimately putting, um, uh, putting the consumers and the patients, um, uh, more in control of their, um, their health and their wellness and their fitness in, uh, helping them ultimately live longer and healthier lives.
0: Yeah. I love all that. I mean, Going off of the, you know, the consumer medical uh, point that you made, um, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is, you know, with the pandemic, it just keeps, it just keeps getting, I think, uh, put on display that, you know, these biometric sensors and this ability to uh, better understand what our, our physiology is telling us is, um, is just like, there's a lot of really interesting things that can be done with that, Uh, you know, The first thing that comes to mind is what whoop has consistently been displaying all throughout the pandemic is uh, a lot of the time before the uh, you even can test positive for COVID, your respiratory rate will spike and so these are these like precursor, these preliminary things. And um, I just think what's fascinating, you know, you talk about the Apple watch too, and how people, you know, these detections of AFib and um, abnormalities with all these things, it just strikes me as we're in this super early onset of what's going to be, I think a massive trend throughout the 2020s, which is preventative health, right? It's like this whole notion that these consumer wearables that people wear, largely for the consumer applications whether it be apple watch and it just be your everyday watch or whoop where you're using it as like a training band to live a healthier life they double as these notification systems of there are abnormal or abnormalities going on um i know that in a lot of the conversations we've had we're probably going to see that migrate up into the ear as well and so you're going to be i think that we'll have like these devices that we're all going to be wearing largely for consumer purposes that serve uh, as a dual medical you know preventative kind of guardian use case uh, for a myriad of different things that they're capturing and a lot of that i think is going to be um, tied to the data science you know we've had a lot of really good conversations around that about You know, the machine learning advances uh, in terms of what you can assess from all of this data, and that to me is another really exciting aspect as it relates to biometric monitoring and uh, sensors in general is the actual science that's layered on top of it, and these algorithms that we're going to be able to make sense of all of this data that's being captured
4: yeah there's uh, there's a ton going on there like that and, and it um uh, there's there's a bunch to unpack there so um first and foremost you're right that these devices are becoming early warning systems if you will for a variety of different indications both acute indications as well as as chronic conditions mm-hmm. as well and from a from a device standpoint i think you're going to start to see um a a proliferation of this user experience Similar to, I guess, the most common example of it is the Apple Watch and the AFib, where the PPG sensor is continually monitoring for irregular heart rates and irregular heart rhythms. And what it does, it surfaces a notification to say, hey, you should take an ECG reading because there we see something abnormal here. So you're going to start to see that use case play out in different um, disease states, different conditions. Um, uh, that um, where where the wearable is providing um, uh, providing real time monitoring, maybe not at the same level of acuity that a medical device could, but it can at least identify uh, irregular patterns that trigger you to go get a more um, more advanced test, or uh, go to your doctor, or take an ECG reading, whatever it might be. And so you're going to start to see that play out in um, in different different areas. I'll give you a, a great example of something we're working on um, quite a bit is is in the hypertension space. So okay. the ability to measure blood pressure purely with a PPG sensor in devices that people wear um, every day, whether it's in the, in a set of earbuds or a hearing aid or in um, in a watch and um, that can uh, provide an early warning signal of a, a hypertensive, either hypertensive stress acutely or more chronic um, uh, patterns of, of uh, hypertension, which again can trigger alerts and help people yeah, go get uh, go talk to their doctor, go get a cuff reading, whatever they, the the um, advice is to to um, to alleviate that that particular issue um, you're going to start to see that play out a lot more in, uh, in these consumer medical devices. Um, the other area that that's worth touching on, as you mentioned, Dave, is, is, um, what's going on at the ear is sort of a microcosm of this broader level convergence of consumer and, and, um, medical devices. Sure, yeah. You've got the, the consumer, uh, earbud, consumer audio and earbud companies, Starting to add more and more um, hearing augmentation capabilities and um, active noise cancellation and um, uh, being able to tune the, the sound and the audio as it comes in based on an individual's personal uh, uh, hearing capabilities. And of course, that's, that's features and functionality that's, that's um, long been a part of hearing health devices and hearing aids. And so, but in, uh, from the other side, from the hearing aid and hearing health side, you've got those companies, as I mentioned before, adding traditionally, traditional wearable devices for, uh, or wearable capabilities, I should say, for um, for things like activity tracking and biometrics and voice assistance and that kind of stuff. And so you've got this, this um, overlap, a sort of a Venn diagram that's getting closer and closer together, more and more <laughs> overlap and yes. there's more and more um, uh, more and more in the middle, if you will, between those those hearing health devices and the consumer audio devices.
0: I think you said it really, really well there. It's this meeting in the middle of consumer and medical. So Ryan, awesome to have you on all the different times this year. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for coming on today. And let's definitely catch up a number of times in 2021 as well.
4: Sounds great. Thanks, Dave.
0: Brielle Nikoloff, thank you so much for joining me here on the end of the year podcast episode. Last time we spoke was episode fifteen of the podcast. Uh, really awesome conversation. We talked a lot about, you know, the various tools that are used to create a lot of these different voice experiences. Um, back then, I think you were still with Witlingo. Now you're with Botmock. Um, so wanted to bring you on and just get your take. What are you excited about as we head into 2021? You know, as it relates to your expertise, your interests, the things that you're really passionate about.
5: Thanks Dave, thanks for having me on. I am really excited about all of the effort and energy right now that is around the growing field of conversation design, whether that is voice chat. Um, There is just an amazing sort of rallying around uh, giving designers their due diligence and the amount of uh, credit that they deserve for creating these incredible experiences. Um, The field is just going to keep expanding and now we're starting to see a bit more of a codified system of what we call ourselves as conversation designers, um, how recruiters find us, how you can actually look for jobs and uh, with uh, Hillary Black's new uh, website that launched yesterday, I believe, conversationdesignjobs.com, we're just seeing so much uh, progress around this, which is amazing. Um, It's amazing because it is finally giving a place for artists and writers and uh, liberal arts People to sort of find our place. And, it, you know, if you don't have necessarily an artistic eye, then you and, and you do have a way with words and you have a way with really thinking about systems, whether that's a voice system or a chat system, you now have a place to kind of really excel and use your skills. So, at Botmock, more and more enterprise teams are coming to us and um, we've really seen a bit of a shift over this year that I think will keep happening next year, which is um, they're coming to us and they're saying, hey, you know, in you know, a couple of years ago, our whole chatbot was designed and maintained by this one person. Now we have a product manager, we have researchers, um, we have developers and designers all working on this and we're treating it the way it needs to be treated which is as a real product so um so lots of them are telling us hey we're hiring a new conversation designer next week can we uh, get a new can we get a bot mock demo session for them as well Um, and i just think it's amazing how people uh, are really flocking to this field especially It's so cool to see the voice field grow and and there's audio files and film people and script writers and just an amazing kind of um, gathering of different backgrounds and skill sets to kind of help this field progress altogether.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that has been one of the coolest and really, honestly, most surprising things since I've been dabbling in this space and coming around and meeting all these people is I initially thought that it was going to be very, very techy, and there is a tech element to it. Um, You have a lot of developers, highly technical engineers. Um, people with those backgrounds. But what I didn't expect when I first started to come around back in 2017 or so was that this was a home for a lot of liberal arts um, type minded people, too. And I love that. I love that um, we're kind of seeing this field really open up into, you know, if you're um, a liberal arts uh, major that has a real passion for storytelling or you're a linguist like yourself. Um, I just find the one of the things that really is so magnetic about the voice industry is that it is so broadly appealing to different backgrounds. And because you have that really diverse mind uh, minded groups of people, both technical and also highly creative and um, from the art sides of things, I, I just love the, the marriage of the two. And to your point that I think it's been so cool to see over this last year, in particular, the, the the design side really formalized in a concrete way. Like you said, you now have a really clear understanding of the delineations between what a conversational designer does, what those expectations are. I just think that it's a testament to this whole space really growing up. Um, you know, it's like each year while it might not seem on the surface or from the consumer standpoint that there's a ton of progress being made, clearly in the background, there's so much that's happening that's laying the foundation for this whole space to take off in a meaningful way for a long time. And mm-hmm. I feel like this year in particular has been probably the most significant progress being made in terms of the things that are happening in the background in that foundation that's like really being established right now.
5: I totally agree. And I to your point about sort of the design process behind um, that comes before the development, finally you know being brought out into the light. it's amazing to see and uh, it's amazing to see teams, you know, I would I would say a, like uh, more than half maybe more than half of the teams that use bot don't even necessarily um, need the developer handover to be that robust. They're coming to our tool saying our designers, they don't wanna be having to go think in in dialogue flow terms anymore. They don't wanna have to work within those technical tools. They need a tool like Botmock where they can visually figure things out. And then our developers, they, they know that they're gonna put in some work around you know deploying it. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So in terms of um, like, we're not a complete build tool but we're seeing teams want a tool just for that design process. And then we're seeing teams also the, the same team use other tools just for the technical deployment.
0: Yeah, I love it. I think it's like this, um, the the two sides, the developers and the designers, I think are, they've sort of are realizing the way in which they work in tandem. And um, I just think that's such a, again, such a testament to where we are with this is that the, the technology is so new. It's not like this is some sort of iteration to like the mobile web was to the previous web. Like this is kind of like a whole new internet in, in many different ways. And And so, of course, it's going to take a while for us to even figure out, like, how do we go about building this thing out? And it just from almost like an outsider's perspective, in my view, um, I look at where it's at today, and it's night and day in terms of just the general understanding of what needs to be done in order to bring these things to market, what kinds of roles need to be played by these different players that are, you know, working behind the scenes. So I think that that gives me a lot of uh, enthusiasm and, and optimism about what's to come because it just feels like things are really starting to kind of solidify.
5: Me too, Dave. I think you <laughs> you really <laughs> summed it up there perfectly.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks, Brielle. Thank you so much for joining. I look forward to chatting again here in 2021.
5: Me too. Thank you, Dave.
0: Okay. So we got Scott and Susan Westwater on here my favorite married couple that have joined me on the podcast. Uh, Episode eight, you joined me when you guys were launching your first book. Congrats on the announcement that you're gonna be writing a second book. I guess that's congrats, Um, although that might be a little daunting right now in the stage that you're at. But uh, nonetheless, I've always really appreciated your guys' perspective on the voice landscape. I think with Pragmatic Digital, you have uh, one of the most well-grounded Um, ways of thinking about voice, how it can be applied in the enterprise, you know, like what are going to be the use cases that are actually attractive to businesses? Um, How can you how can you build a business around creating voice experiences for other businesses? Um, So I've always found your take to be really fascinating. And I wanted to get you on here to get a sense from you. What did you learn in 2020? And how are you going to apply some of these things into 2021? Like what are the things that you're looking forward to heading into next year? Well, first off, thanks for having yeah. us back on. We really appreciate it, Dave. And thank you for the kind words on the
6: book and all the stuff that we've been working on. Absolutely. Um, it, it's been a really interesting year. I mean, obviously we started out um, really excited. I mean, my present, one of the first slides in our presentation in Chattanooga um, was, this is going to be the year of voice in 2020, consumer adoption <laughs> and rah, rah, rah. And none of us could have foreseen you know the pandemic and all the implications that that would have. Right. I will say, despite all of the trials and tribulations that we've seen globally as a community, there are a lot of silver linings and there's a lot of positive that's actually come out of 2020. Um, we were talking a little bit before we started recording. And one of the things that's actually been super interesting are the conversations we've been having with brands and enterprises have actually completely changed. There are a lot more mature conversations and it's less on the education side and more about how can I implement voice within my enterprise at whatever point that makes sense. And so if nothing else, the larger organizations are investing. We've been pretty large scale projects uh, towards the end of this year. But again, the conversations have progressed quite a bit from where we were even at the end of last year. So I think, you know, for all of us in the voice community, that's really a good indicator of what 21, 22, and 23 and beyond um, could be looking like.
7: Yeah. And I, I would say from a, a brass tax perspective, I think the things that I'm excited about for 2021 is seeing the continued integration of voice into uh, to brands. We're starting to see like even um, with it being the holidays, I'm seeing all these iRoomba Uh, commercials, where they're starting to tout that it has a voice enablement. That enablement's been there for a while, but the fact that they're now putting that in and demonstrating it is showing that with, you know, as much as I hate to give major TV all the credit, when you start seeing that integrated into super expensive ad spends, that's an important thing to take notice of. Um, And I think that that's what I'm looking forward to in 2021 is helping those brands. And as brands start to figure out where voice, as opposed to, how do I fit into voice or what do I make with voice? It's where does voice fit? And then start to work within my own existing brand, like my customer experience, where does that make sense? And I think that's an exciting part. And that's where then voice search is gonna be important. Um, Looking at your existing mobile app. um, It isn't just going to be the speakers, it's gonna be how do I make that work across everything? And so therefore, when we see what the implementations look like, that's also gonna be really thoughtful and creative as we try to figure out how do I make that consistent from app to speaker to possibly even website. Um, and so that's gonna have a whole different group. I think Sonic branding is gonna take off even more than we've seen it. Um, thinking about what how those uh, well-known uh, spokes voices are for brands, those are again, there's gonna be considerations. And I think the creative executions are gonna be something exciting to look at too.
0: Yeah, I think the, um, you mentioned, you know, sonic branding and this idea of having a spokesperson, I, you know, before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about, um, you know, just customizing the, the assistant, you know, and the, for each different brand, having, you know, not using a default, um, and, and having that identity. And I think that that was something that initially people were maybe 50-50 on, you know, you could maybe make an argument for why it makes sense to just use the default, you know, have everything just sound um, kind of uniform across whatever brand. And I think now in hindsight, it's really obvious that, you know, you wanna be able to stand out in people's mind and whether that's through a combination of the sonic branding, but also with using a designated spokesperson, you know, and doing voiceovers, these are the again these are the things that are happening right now in the voice space that they're really iterative but they're like such a testament of the formative stage that this technology is in it's it's going to be the things that are standard and we we'll, we'll look back on you know down the line as you know of course it's the way that it is now and never even think that it was at one point debated as to what it would be but I do think that you know, this idea of having multiple voice assistants for all kinds of different brands and and having that brand, you know, like what does Nike's voice assistant look like? And what does it sound like? You know, it's probably something that's tied to its overarching brand. And that's really exciting to me is that it becomes something from, from a consumer standpoint, I think just more engaging. And then from a brand standpoint, it becomes a new channel that you can manifest your brand in, in a different way. And those are going to be the kinds of things that I think get more and more brands on board with this idea of like, you know, manifesting it and having that extension into this new channel. And like you said, there's a lot of reasons for these big companies to be heavily, you know, thinking heavily about the uh, voice space right now, particularly around voice search, voice SEO. (laughs) So I think by, using some of these different mechanisms as an, you know, an overall message to say, like voice is really important is going to just pay dividends down the line.
6: Yeah, we had a couple of projects this year that we worked with CZM Son, who is the world's largest sonic branding agency out of Paris. And there's one situation where we created their skill in action. And because of the voice that we chose, um, who happened to be one of their employees, Uh, was close to Alexa, we started seeing people getting lost within the experience and thinking they were talking to Alexa. (laughs) And so there wasn't enough of a sonic differentiation between the voice we were working with and their, uh, and the default voice. So we ended up adding a lot of audio cues um, to make it very clear the branded experience versus, you know, the traditional Alexa experience. And then we also have an example Um, with the Open Voice Network, where, again, CZM Sun did the audio branding. um, And we actually have a demo where we have a default poly voice. It's a male poly voice. Um, And being that the Open Voice Network is an international organization and we want it to be welcoming, we chose a voice that actually had an international feel to it. So it's um, a gentleman who also works at um, CZM Sun, but he actually has a French accent. And so he's English, uh, he speaks English, you know, as a second language, um, but has this awesome French accent. So we have this international flavor to it, which is already a big difference between the default poly voice and the voice performance, but then you layer in the ability to um, add that sonic element to it and music and really create that emotional tie when you listen to all three examples, you're like, I, of course I would go with this like yeah. finished polished version. It sounds so much better. It's so much better. Um, and so, you know, it's it's just one of those things that because we've started to reach that level of maturity, because there's new organizations and creatives that are coming into the space, we can create more robust experiences. We can enhance the creative um, by using all the different things that we have at our disposal.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's really interesting. I mean, That to me is, again, like I said, this, it it just screams that we're in this really sort of infancy of this technology. I just always think back on the the way the web was like in the early nineties and like just how much, you know, innovation there was that just transpired one thing after another. And um, it just feels so much like we're in those early web days where, you know, the the foundation is being laid for something much bigger but it takes a lot of thought into getting the details right in this stage so that you're set up you know and this thing can grow on top of what it is today
7: yeah i think we definitely have been focusing on making things work and making them you know is it possible to do these things is it possible to do whatever and now we're getting to a point of how do i do that better and that's an exciting time because we have like, this is incredible technology. It's taken a ton of work and now it's to add that polish and that more robust feeling. So that way then people do feel trust, you know, they do trust it because it's reliable, it's richer and it's more informative. Um, And that way then it becomes a preference.
0: Yes. I couldn't agree more. Well, Scott and Susan, this has been great uh, catching up with you and just getting the feel for, you know, what it is that you're looking forward to. So Thanks for uh, joining me this year on the podcast, and I look forward to chatting again in 2021.
7: Sure. Thank you so much for having us on, and um, thanks again for all the kind words.
0: Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Future Ear Radio. For more content like this, just head over to futureear.co, where you can read all the articles that I've been writing these past few years on the worlds of voice technology and hearables and how the two are beginning to intersect. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll chat with you next time.